When it rains, hit the laves. Experience the best in weatherproof fun at Bolero. Bowl, play games, and treat your taste buds to Bolero's signature menu. Don't get wet, go bowling. Visit Bolero.com for hours and weekly specials. Blog Talk Radio. show lined up too. Joe isn't with us again today. You know, Joe, I'm starting to think Joe just doesn't like talking about too much anymore. He just, he just keeps disappearing on us, but it's all good. He's really with the family at the beach. The person that doesn't like the beach is at the beach, right? So but we got some great guests with us today. We, we actually have our first two winners ever of who's going to participate and be our guest co-host. We have uh, Garrett. Garrett, you there? How you doing? Hey, Garrett, how you doing? I'm Good, doing well. Garrett. How are you? I'm doing great. Looking forward to a great show here. Then we got Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you there? Yes, sir. I'm here. How are you? I'm doing great. You guys ready to have a great show today? Yes, Definitely. sir. Oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So, you know, it's something I've been thinking about doing for a while, you know, where we get some guests on, where we could just um, basically let you guys have a voice, you know, as opposed to just only commenting and things like that. You know, we wanted to give you guys a voice and, you know, just talk some real football, really talk whatever it is you want to talk, you know. We're going we're gonna to have some great conversations. You guys got some great questions lined up and everything, so I'm looking forward to getting it going. Uh, first off, though, uh, Garrett, you want to introduce yourself, tell, yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been a Rams fan, how you become a Rams fan, why have you stayed a Rams fan, just lay it all out there. Go ahead, uh, you got the floor. Yeah, um, so, yeah, I'm originally from New Jersey, um, just graduated college in Philadelphia, and uh, just moved to South Florida, been here for about a month. I'm actually working for a hockey team, funny enough, I'm working for the Florida Panthers, but uh, I've been a Rams fan as long as I can remember. My dad kind of put me onto them. Um, I've been a fan since the greatest show on turf days. I can actually remember bawling my eyes out when they lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. So, didn't start off on didn't start off great, but um, yeah. Um, so, um, why well, I like the Rams? Uh, well, my dad started liking the Rams when uh, the Eagles were from South Jersey, so the Eagles are the closest team. Um, the Eagles weren't very good in the '70s, and he had three older brothers, so he kind of wanted to do his own thing. So he always was a he always liked uh, Roman Gabriel and Lawrence McCutcheon and Ferragamo, so some of those guys with the Rams. So he hooked me onto them, and I've been liking them ever since. Um, I've actually seen one game every year for the last, or since uh, 2004, since they played in Buffalo in that season. And then I saw them in St. Louis once a year from 2005 to the Ketchup Mustard Bowl uh, two years ago. So, And then uh, 
kept up the tradition last year when saw them get destroyed in New England, but uh, uh, we're planning to either go to Jacksonville or Dallas this year, so we'll see. But, uh, yep, uh, lifelong Rams fan, and it's been mostly disappointing. You know what, Gary, when you mentioned, like, when you kind of laid out your dedication to go to some of these games uh, just year in, year out, that was that was highly impressive. Like when I read it, I was like, "Oh man, I got to get down here so we can talk about it." Yeah, I did the final tally of four wins and seventeen times I've seen them. So not very good win percentage. <laughs> so basically, you saw last season. <laughs> you saw you saw enough games to cover a whole season. And you saw four wins. I feel like they've all been lumped <laughs> together all these seasons because it's been so bad. But yeah, basically. <laughs> That is impressive, but hey, it shows the dedication is real with you, one hundred percent. Yeah, glad Jeremiah, to be here. what you got? Uh, hello, yeah, I'm Jeremiah Briscoe. I am from Houston, Texas. I am 22 years old. I am a kinesiology major at Texas A&M University of Commerce. I have been a Rams fan all my life, man. My favorite player is Marshall Falk, and I mean it's been Marshall. disappointing, but I'm 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 excited for the future though. I think Sean McVay is going to turn things around. Man, Marshall, that is that's a good player to have a have as your favorite. Marshall was actually yeah. like a really cool dude, like to meet in person. Like he's just super chill, you know, like a really really chill dude. And uh, Marshall, when he was uh, with the Rams, I'm if you all don't know already, I'm actually from St. Louis. Uh, oddly enough, I became okay. a Rams fan before they moved to St. Louis. <laughs> it, I was probably like six years old when they moved to St. Louis, and like. My grandfather actually got me really big into uh, into football in general. And the first game I ever just sat down and watched from beginning to end was a Rams game. They were getting killed by the 49ers. And uh, they were wow. in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> they were in L.A. And um, I remember sitting there when I was probably like four years old watching this game with my grandfather. And I've, I've always been somebody to root for the underdog. And so they were getting killed, and like at halftime comes back, and I'm like, oh, I hope they come back. And they came out playing much better, and they still lost, but they played well enough to get me to root for me the harder. And from that day forward, I was a Rams fan. <laughs> it just kind of stuck. And um, when they came to St. Louis, it was, it was like a shock out because you know, as a kid, you don't, you're not paying attention. You have no clue they're coming. So it was like, oh man, they're, they're coming to St. Louis. They're here. What? And then Marshall Falk shows up, and you know, at this wow. point, I'm, I'm in junior high when Marshall Falk and those guys come and they win the Super Bowl, you know, it's just like, wow. Then I go on to high school and um, my defense coordinator in high school was Mike Jones, the one who made the tackle for him at the Super Bowl. And so uh, it was, that was just a great privilege because, you know, knowing Mike Jones, um, he's such a good guy. Like he used to just take me and a couple of other teammates just to hang with him. And when he would go to Rams Park, we would go to Rams Park and, I got the opportunity to just talk with Isaac Bruce on numerous occasions and talk with Tony Holt, who's probably the coolest dude ever, and uh, talk with uh, Steven Jackson. But one of the one of the more interesting conversations I've had as far as talking with uh, a football player, an NFL player specifically, was with Marshall Falk, just a really chill, laid-back guy. But it, it it's, almost, it's almost surreal, <laughs> you know, because you wouldn't really expect Man. him to be – you know, when you see guys that that good, you know, your first thought is, man, that's got to be a jerk. He just he knows he's that good. <laughs> you know, but no, Marshall Paul was real, actually really cool, dude. So, 
that's a good guy. That's a good guy for you to have as your favorite player. What's that? That's right. I hope to be the one day. What's that? I I really don't. I just been loyal. I really can't explain it, man. I really have no idea. I just that's been my teams, and I've just stuck with them. How did you <laughs> become a real team living in Houston? Uh, actually, Houston didn't have a team. I'm, I was born in 1995, so I mean, I really right. didn't get into football till like '98, and I mean, uh-huh. I, the Oilers was already gone, so didn't really have no football team in Houston. So I mean, and they was the greatest show on turf. So. Boom. <laughs> Caught my attention. That makes sense. It started with yeah. Madden, didn't it? Yeah, I like probably Madden. Probably so. <laughs> started with Madden. You know, you, you everybody always used the best team in Madden when you're a kid. So, at that time, that was the team to use on Madden. <laughs> I'm willing to bet that Madden was probably everybody on this everybody on this call that was the team they used. <laughs> but, um, no, that's, 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 that's like cool, why everybody's Mike Vick fans because of, what, Madden oh, 04, man, right? Don't, don't get yeah, me started on if I wasn't using Vic, I was angry. <laughs> just that simple. Oh, Madden 04. Yeah. If you beat me to the Falcons, I didn't even want to play anymore. <laughs> I Not to mention he destroyed anymore. us in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. Oh, man. I was there that night. That was, that was, that was, oh, man. <laughs> I was so torn because at that time, Michael Vick was one of my favorite players in the league because he was so exciting to watch, you know. And I was torn because it's like, I don't, what do I do right now? Like I want my Rams to win, but I really want to see Vic succeed, and then he beat us, and I was so mad. I was like, I didn't want to miss yeah, the that much. No, what's funny about that playoffs is the week before they beat Seattle in Seattle, and I don't remember anything about Cam Cleland except that he caught the game-winning touchdown. I literally don't remember anything mm-hmm. else about the guy, but, but, you know, the big upset in Seattle. But then they got destroyed by, you know, the Falcons the next week, so. That is that's how it goes sometimes, unfortunately. <laughs> so, you guys, uh, you guys ready to dive into this uh, week's show? Yes, guys, sir. Let's get up, on. Served up some great questions. Served up some absolutely great questions. We're gonna get started off with uh, Garrett. You know, you you mentioned you want to talk about the defense um, past 2017, which I thought was great because you know, of course, in year one, kind of you're expecting to have those those bumps and bruises, having to. Uh, make some adjustments and get used to things. So, you know, year one may not always be the best, although Wade Phillips has a history of wherever he goes, they immediately jump up to a top-ten defense, mm-hmm. although the Rams was already finished as a top-ten defense. So the expectation was seen that it would be that they should probably still be somewhere around there considering this year was the first year they didn't lose half their defense. Uh, they they retained a lot of guys. Um, they, they lost T.J. McDonald, but and then Dominique Easley, he, he got hurt. So it'll be interesting to see how those roles are filled. But looking be, looking beyond 2017, what are you what are you thinking? Like your question was, uh, most of the defense are free agents after this year. So how are you thinking things about to shake out? So I, I really d- didn't watch. I never played football. Um, I really don't know how to scout football. I don't watch college football. So when the draft comes around and they take whoever, I'm just like, oh, I'm sure that guy's good. But um, so it's hard for me to like look at the X's and O's and especially what Phillips wants to do with the defense and all that and not familiar with his scheme as much. But just um, like I come from more of an analytical, you know, uh, macro kind of background. So when I just look at the team past the season, you were talking about how they could still be a top unit, which I agree with you. But 
past this year, I mean, most of their starters are free agents. Johnson, Barwin, uh, Easley, Ogletree, uh, Davis, Joyner, Roby Coleman, Mo Alexander. I mean, they're all free agents, and then you guys have talked enough about Aaron Donald and whatever's going on with that situation. So, I mean, my, you know, my concern is what they're going to, you know, what they're going to do past this year. It's just Wade Phillips isn't going to be around forever. I mean, maybe he might, but I mean, just, it's just one of my big issues with the Fisher Sneed uh, group pairing was after all these guys were done their first four years, you know, they were up for extensions and it was about keeping your young group together and your inaugural draft class and, you know, you had Johnson, Jenkins, um, McDonald, and McLeod. But then two years later, they all could be gone. So, I mean, that's my concern. It's just we're not going to have a defense next year unless, you know. I mean, you got to see who plays well and fill up the scheme and figure that part out. But, I mean, there's going to be a lot of empty holes next year. That is the expectation. is, And it's understandable considering that uh... – Less need in company. They haven't uh, exactly instilled hope that they can re-sign their best players, uh, which is what kind of makes, I guess, the whole Aaron Donald situation scary because it's like you got one of the best players in the NFL, top five players in the NFL regardless of position, and yes, sir, you are struggling to keep him around um, beyond what's left on his contract. I mean. That is worrisome. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's like some players, it should be easy. You know, so if, you, if you're going to struggle with him, and we've seen them struggle with Janoris Jenkins before, like what are you going to do with these other guys? I mean, I watched the, uh, the preseason game uh, this past weekend, and I'm one of those people that study every part of it. It takes me, like, forever to watch it <laughs> because I watch it from all <laughs> different camera angles and everything, and I got to rewind, re-pause, make a note, oh, look at this, you know. And I'm watching Tremaine Johnson, and the interception was so perfect. Beautiful. It wasn't a bad throw. It wasn't a bad route. It wasn't. He just read it perfectly from the very beginning of the snap, and he cut the receiver off and ran the route for him and made the receiver stop. That way, he could jump it. It was it was flawless. There's no the perfect coverage. That is exactly what you want your corner to be able to do every time. And when you see him do those things, it's just like, why would you not? be quicker to the draw to keep him around, especially after losing Jenkins. You know, you you don't really have the luxury of playing around anymore, you know. So I could definitely understand the concern. Um, they kind of put themselves in a the corner, though, when you look at the uh, possibility of returning guys because, like you said, so many guys are created and they've let guys like Tremaine Johnson linger for two years. <laughs> you know, you haven't signed them. It's been two years of opportunity to sign them, and you still haven't done it. You know, when you let those things linger, they carry over. Now you have all these guys built up, and everyone the free agency. Quite frankly, the chances of them resigning everyone is probably one to zero. <laughs> you know, so it's uh, <laughs> the, the odds are not in their favor to get everyone resigned. It's a matter of who will they be able to resign, um, and that, that's probably part of the reason uh, negotiations are held up with Aaron Donald. But um, I don't think it's all of the reason. I think it's just kind of thing tight with how much they want to give them just in general. But it is a, it's a it's definitely gonna be interesting to see how things shake out after this year. What do you think, Jeremiah? I I believe things are gonna look great. Um the whole situation with um Aaron Donald, 
I think they just need to pay him honestly. I mean, we can't afford to lose him. That's that's just what I believe. I believe he's one of the top interior guys. If not, he's definitely the best interior. I think he's the best D lineman in the whole NFL. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, Man, uh, but I, but on uh, losing McDonald and uh, McLeod, um, Maurice Alexander, he surprised me last year. He did pretty uh, pretty good. Uh, I believe he graded out uh, as like an eighty one PFF. So I mean that's yeah. that's something to build on. Yeah, absolutely, and I think he's one of those guys that I don't think anyone saw taking the turn that he did. You know, because he mm-hmm. he was so unbelievably raw when they when they brought him in um, in the 2014 draft where he's a fourth round pick and a lot of people was like, really? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, really? You know, uh, yes, I don't think any, anybody thought he was going to be drafted uh, outside, of that, outside of that war room before the sixth round. And a lot of people, I remember Tommy Chase said, the Rams really reached on this pick. And, you know, so it's, uh, it's interesting mm-hmm. to see how and if I'm Go ahead. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, was he the uh, janitor at the the old Edward yeah. Stone Dome? Yeah, he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's from St. Louis, and he worked there at the stadium. You know, so it was. It's really interesting to see him have that turn and just success. He he's one of those guys that literally came out of nowhere. You knew he was on the mm-hmm. roster, but he was only good at special teams. And when you watched him in games, the struggle was unbelievable. And then last year, every part of his game just elevated. It was like the light switch went off. You know, he just became a different player. So I'm definitely interested to see what he does now going into year four after that light switch that went off and had a full offseason of being the player that he was last year, you know, with the light switch off and playing for a contract for that extra motivation. I think um, Maurice Alexander could be could be a bit of an X factor in that, uh, in the, not just the secondary, on the defense in general. Um, so we're talking about a little bit about Aaron Donald's holdout situation, and I know that, Jeremiah, you mentioned that in one of your questions. What, what are we thinking that he deserves? Because you look at Bob Miller and you look at Nadal Kinsu, they're the two highest paid uh, defenders in the NFL. They're both making $100. The only thing that varies is their guaranteed money. You know, they're making $114. Yes, the difference in the overall value is $100,000. <laughs> you know, the only difference yes, is sir. guaranteed money. I, that's and that's and that's what I think it falls under. I think that's why he's holding out. I think it's the guarantee. I think that's what he wants more of. I believe roughly. I believe I wouldn't be surprised if he gets around a five or six year, a hundred and a hundred and ten, hundred and fifteen million. And I believe he wants around sixty five guaranteed, seventy guaranteed. That'll make him the highest paid defensive uh, player in the league, wouldn't it? Uh, seventy would, yeah. 70, put him 70 million uh, guaranteed, yep. And I believe yeah, that's what I he's going for. Yeah, Von mm-hmm. Miller is currently the highest. Yeah, Von mm-hmm. Miller is currently the highest. What, what are you thinking, uh, Garrett? I mean, I'm not the best with NFL contracts and guarantees, but, I mean, just honestly, I think he's worth every penny. You know, I, I just have that mindset. He's, you know, he's just as good as J.J. Watt. And, you know, uh, okay. I, think he, I think he famously broke the PFF scale for uh, – yeah. For like a, on a mm-hmm. zero one hundred scale, I think he broke the scale. So I mean, he's just that good. I mean, he's you know he's the best player they've had. And as I love Stephen Jackson, he's my favorite Ram ever. But besides yeah. Jackson, I mean, he's their best. He's been the best Ram since the greatest show on turf guys. Yeah, I man, I feel bad for Stephen Jackson sometimes. I feel bad for him all the time. 
And, you know, <laughs> a lot of people was like, oh, no, you can't go to the Patriots. And I was happy. I was like, this is his best opportunity yeah. to get a ring. <laughs> and that was his first playoff game since his rookie season. You know, I was happy yeah. for him. Um, and because he went to the Falcons, and they didn't make the playoffs any of those two years. You know, so it, just, yeah. it was so unlucky for him. They were on a playoff streak. They didn't make it to the playoffs at all when he was there. Then he leaves, and they're back in the playoffs. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man. Break. I hope he gets him a gold jacket. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I hope he does, too. And he's he's right there on the cusp, you know, as far as statistically goes. You know, he's oh, he's in the 10,000 yard club, you know. So it'll be interesting, yeah, especially doing it he's on the real team. Like, yeah, he's in, like, that Otis Anderson, like, Tiki Barber kind of range, but, like, those guys play yeah. on better teams than the Rams. So, I mean, I don't exactly, know. and that's what I think. That's what kind of plays in his favor. But then what plays against him is the lack of success of the overall team. So it's it's it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I think the best thing he ever did in his career was changing his attitude from when he first got in the league. He was a young guy, a lot of attitude, a lot of cocky. Wasn't the media's best friend, <laughs> but as he matured, yeah. he became like the go-to guy for the media, which probably helps him a lot you know, eventually down the road. He obviously won't be a first ballot and probably not second or third, but hopefully eventually he gets in there. Uh, it is a, it is a bit of a long jump. You do see guys like Terrell mm-hmm. Davis who have to wait forever. You know, and I wouldn't be surprised you, you, if he have to wait like eight or nine years, but hopefully he gets in. And then you talk about Todd Gurley ru- running behind a bad line. I mean, Jackson epitomized running behind a bad line, a bad offense, a bad Thank quarterback, you. bad receivers. <laughs> And he still ran for over ten thousand yards. And like, thank you. I mean, he's. I mean, that's he's, why it's hard I mean, for me. To, that's why it's so hard for me to cut early. It's very hard because when you want to talk about bad lines, no one ran behind a worse line than Stephen Jackson in two thousand and eight and two thousand and nine. Oh my goodness, those lines were hideous, especially 2009. Yeah. <laughs> that was no, my favorite, my was favorite, Stephen Jackson. That was when we had my our favorite. starting tackles yeah. was Alex Barron and Jason Smith. Let's let's keep that in mind, okay? <laughs> no, yep. my my favorite, my favorite, my favorite Stephen Jackson game was the the one when they had in '09 against the Lions against Detroit. Oh my I god! Oh yeah, it's all over. The- I knew you were going to he say was that. A man he on like, the Rams were 0-12 at he the was a time. Man on a mission. 12, he didn't want yeah. to. He didn't want to go 0-16. That was the year the Lions did go 0-16. Like, he was so against it, he refused to do it. He was like, I'm not going to have it. And he literally put the team on his back and carried yeah, them man. to that victory. He, he ran so hard. I mean, it's games like that where you just like, man, this is a Hall of Fame running back, you know, so – I hope I hope he gets in and he deserves it. He put up with so much over ten years in St. Louis, but you know, and that what he was able to accomplish while in St. Louis was um, so ridiculously impressive. You know, so like I, I see a couple guys get called the beast. Like I see a couple guys get called the beast. I'm like, no, Jackson's the beast. Jackson's the original yeah. beast. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The beast. So Jeremiah, you, but I mean, you I'm, move on to go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say that I believe Gurley is going to bounce back this year. You say I believe, you believe so. what? I believe Gurley is going to bounce back. I think he's going to have a solid year. Um, the thing yeah. about Gurley is, you know, I get told that I'm killing the mood every time I say this, but I am a realist, and I, I do keep it real all the time. The thing about Gurley <laughs> is he didn't have a dominant rookie season. He had a an amazing first four games. And 
that was it. He did. <laughs> you know, that, was it. that was that was kind of what set it apart from a good season to a so-so season. Because the rest of those games, other than the game against the Lions, he didn't have 100 yards. He was only in his two seasons, he's only rushed for 100 yards five times in the first four games and then the game against the Lions. Every other that's game, true, he but every other game he was held for like seventy yards or less. So <laughs> that's true, but I believe it's just like, but after them, like the first five games, I believe that's just when all the injuries started hitting. I was like, oh man, yeah, we saw, went down, like Havenstein we yeah. went down. <laughs> we saw some guys get hurt, but then it goes back to that point with Stephen Jackson, you know, where he was running behind duct tape, <laughs> and he was able yeah, to duct tape and some safety pins. He was able to rip him out. And as I've said so many times with Gurley, his biggest issue was that even when he had a hole, he didn't always hit it. And that killed mm-hmm. him. You know, so I'm definitely looking forward to seeing him getting that confidence and hitting these holes more uh, more consistently. I think that he has the right guys around him now. And when I say that, I'm talking strictly about coaching. Uh, I think because mm-hmm. of the McVay's attention to detail – uh, I think that's going to help him out a lot to really show him how, hey, you need to slow down, find your hold, and hit it full speed as opposed to just running, putting your head down and running into the back of your line. That's uh, true so, as well. Jeremiah, you had a great question talking about golf improving and uh, expectations of the Big Bay. What are your thoughts on him improving? Like, what are your expectations for Derek Golf? Uh, I believe far as scheme-wise, everything is better. I believe he's going to achieve – I believe he's going to look like a, a first overall pick. I mean, he has the pocket presence. He has the patience. He's poised. I believe he had the, the pocket uh, the uh, pocket presence in his rookie year, if you ask me. You know, even though the O-line was bad, I, still, I think he still stepped up well in some games. I believe our receivers didn't help him out at all. I believe his adjusted his adjusted uh, completion rate with uh, was like a 69%. Jumped his uh, completion percentage up to 69%, which is not bad. But it's not it's not good, but it's not it's not as bad as, as it was, which is like fifty one. Yeah. So I mean, as far as improvements, I believe he's gonna excel. He looked great in the preseason game against the Raiders. He looked, he looked poor, damn he looked good. confident. Against the Raiders. <laughs> <This> <laughs> looked look accurate. Like the same yeah. <laughs> I real, I was like, wait a minute, is this Jared? <laughs> I was, yeah. I was like, wait a second. I was like, I saw him amazing. make a throw in week one, preseason week one against the Cowboys, and it was very impressive. And it was a small thing, and it's one of those things that I'm that I meant when I say the way I watch the game. I'm so into certain things, you know. Some some people were looking at it and like, what's the big deal? And I'm just like, did you see what he did though? And it was a throw where he threw Cooper Cup his first completion, and he got a, mm-hmm. a defender barreling down on him. Cooper Cup was wide open got defender barreling down on him and you know he's rolling out and he's throwing off his back foot and he hits a perfect strike. Mm-hmm. I was just like, man, that is a clutch throw. Like it wasn't a deep throw. Cooper Cup was only like five, six yards past the line of scrimmage. He was wide open. You know, it wasn't the mm-hmm. it was, that wasn't what was so impressive. It was how poised he stayed, how he was able to set his feet where he was running, rolling out to his left and he's right handed, which is already hard enough. And he's on his back foot with a defender barreling down, but he was able to get his feet settled, get his body square, make the right throw, hit him perfectly in stride, take the hit and keep him going. Like, that was that was impressive. That was something that you didn't see from Jerry Goff last year. 
And then, if I'm not mistaken, he uh, he did it again this week uh, with Khalil Mack. He did it a lot this week. He did it a lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he yeah, had I don't know quarterback, but Khalil Mack. Very, very <laughs> throws. It was, it was definitely impressive. I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching him. I was just like, this looks like an NFL quarterback. What I saw last year looked like a high school kid playing in the NFL, a talented high school kid. So if you were to throw him on a high school field or throw him in college, he'd perform well. You throw him in the pros, it's like, hold up, he's overwhelmed. And that's what it looked like to me. So it was it was, it was was a breath of fresh air to watch him um, on Saturday. And it really got me excited about the third preseason game because he's going to play twice as much. And he played a lot in that, in that game this past week. Oh, yeah. He played the whole first that's quarter. Good. And, he has, and he has a lot of weapons now, too. He does, it's, and that was going to be my next point. <laughs> Garrett, what do you think about just the additions and the changes to this receiver? This receiving core went from one of the thinnest to be one of the deepest. Well, being from around Philly, and then just going back to the other point, being from around Philly, you know, it's a bunch of Wentz versus Goff kind of talk, and then people are anointing Carson Wentz, you know, you know the, you know, to be like a Hall of Famer and what and all that, and like. My one friend's telling me, he's like, oh, he'll be on, like, Wentz will be on pace to be, like, with McNabb. Like, he's on the same trajectory. I'm like, wait, like, really? He's going to be in the NFC Championship in his third year? So, but just other than, like, Tim Couch or Garrett Car- or David Carr, has anybody walked into a worse situation as the first pick than Jared Goff? Like, honestly, with the middle school uh, offense, no receivers, and then traded more picks to get him. I mean, that was, you know, a pretty bad set. So, I'm I'm hopeful with him, but then, like you were saying with the receivers, um, I I, I want to be happy with Cup, but, you know, my natural pessimism with this team kicks in, so I want to hold off on that and, you know, see where that goes. But, uh, no, um, I like Watkins for 2017. I'm not as thrilled 2018 on. I, I just feel, I think it's a lot of risk, but he's really good for right now. Uh uh, Robert Woods is solid. Uh, Garrett Reynolds or Josh Reynolds showed he could get up for you know a jump ball, and um, you know I like what I see from Everett. I mean, it's definitely young, definitely growing, but I you know better than what it's been for sure. But I mean, other than you know David Carr and Tim Couch, has any quarterback walked into a worse situation than than Goff did last year? I mean, that's a that's a really good question. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I don't know if so I don't know if Troy if Troy Aikman's situation was worse, but I know uh, he lost his first eleven games. <laughs> He's a Hall of Famer, so I mean, there's hope. <laughs> oh yeah, there's definitely hope. I mean, with Jared Goff, his situation with me at least, I can only speak for myself. When I'm critical of what I saw last year, I definitely take his situation into consideration. Um, you have to. Uh, it would be unfair mm-hmm. to not take it into consideration. However, it's not so much of what was around him that was a problem. It was the smaller things. You know, um, some of the throws that he would make when he wasn't under duress. For example, you look at the game against Seattle last year. He had Brian Quick wide open in the end zone. No one's around him. <laughs> it's like a seven-yard throw. He threw it behind him in the dirt. And it's just like, what? <laughs> And it wasn't even like a barely behind him in a dirt thing. It was like short and way behind him, like two, three yards behind him in the dirt. And you're just like, what is that? You know, so it's like 
there was times where he just looked so out of place in the NFL, um, where you 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 couldn't you had to be critical of him. There was no there was no there was nothing to be positive about um, from what he showed. Now, does that mean that he didn't do anything good his entire rookie season? No, I use the uh, throw to Tavon Austin his first touchdown as a pro. Uh, Tavon Austin mm-hmm. he sets it up perfectly with a uh, corner route, but he stacks the corner so that way he can direct which way it goes. And Jared Goff just throws it perfectly into the middle of the end zone, not towards the sideline, so that it's just almost like skinny. And he gives, he gives him an opportunity to get north and south and run right up under the ball. It was a flawless throw. You know, so you've seen things where it's just like, okay, that looks good. You know, you, you see the throw – uh, to Farrell Cooper in the preseason last year that he dropped, but he should have caught where you're just like, oh, man, that's a great throw. You know, he he throws it to where he can catch it. He's got defenders barreling down. He doesn't set him up to get killed. It's a deep throw. It's a little bit behind him, a little bit high, but it's still a pretty good throw, especially for one of the first deep throws that you attempt in, the, in an NFL game. You know, so it wasn't, a, it wasn't a situation that he didn't do anything right. It was a situation of, everything that he did wrong outweighed the things that he did right because he did so many things wrong. <laughs> um, even with a bad supporting cast, Peyton Manning's rookie season, he threw a lot of interceptions, but he didn't look quite as bad as Jared Goff did. Um, Jared Goff was historically bad in his rookie season. But again, it doesn't yep. necessarily mean that, that his future is glim. <laughs> you know, it, it yep. doesn't, that doesn't at all mean that. Now, yes, correct sir. me if I'm wrong, but wasn't he one of the younger uh, rookie quarterbacks? Uh, you know, yes. in the last you know last five ten years, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I mean, my, my my issue was, you know, he had no one on the offensive staff. You know, Fisher, you know, hasn't run a competent you know NFL offense since what Kerry Collins, you know, back in Tennessee. So I mean. A lot of my a lot of my issues stem from that. Like he had no support to help him out, like in terms of coaching and you know the offensive scheme. So I mean, I, I'm very hopeful with you know McVeigh and just like and especially like trading for Sammy Watkins. It makes it like it you know it speeds it up the process and really tells you if Goff's any good or not. It helps you figure out whether this guy's really the guy to build around. He threw a yeah, dime to uh, Sammy Watkins the other night. Yeah, he did. You know what? It's funny because uh, Sammy Watkins dropped that ball. Um, if you're talking about the one where he threw it over the shoulder to the left si- left side of the end zone and the defender was Welcome there the Watkins, but he, yeah, out- yes, he out threw the defender. <laughs> he definitely it was one of the, it was just like that Tavon Austin though. It was right in the bucket. He threw it to Sammy Watkins uh, outside shoulder away from the defender, right into the bucket, and Sammy Watkins just lost focus as the defender was trying to guard him. That should have been a touchdown. It was a beautiful throw. And to think that he only had four completions, you know, he could have had – he could have been 17 of 20 as opposed to 16 of 20. That 17th throw could have been a big review, you know. So uh, mm-hmm. I definitely think that uh, – and you, you, we've all heard all summer long, all winter long, all spring long, this entire offseason about the work he put in. You know, he really didn't take a vacation. He spent all his time, just about all, all of his time there in L.A., uh, at, around the guys, around the facility, working out, got bigger, got stronger. You know, he, it was a funny picture uh, because he's standing next to Todd Gurley, but they're standing there flexing and he's being funny, being silly, and they're both having fun. But the truth is, he's actually bigger when he's flexing there. He's he's noticeably bigger. You know, uh, 
he had zero muscle coming out last year. You know, and uh, he, he said that he put on about 10 to 12 pounds of muscle. And I think it's uh, obvious the work he put in and the extra time he's, uh, that he's putting in there. And that's what you have to have. But more than anything, I agree with you, Garrett. Um, the most important thing, and I cannot stress this enough, I feel like I say this every week on this show, when you have a young quarterback, you have to put an offensive staff around them and you have to put weapons around them for them to succeed. And I've never seen it fail. <laughs> I've never seen a young quarterback come into, a, come into a bad situation where they go out and they go get offensive minds, they go get ex-quarterbacks who can coach, they go get offensive coordinators who understand concepts and how to put the quarterback in a position to succeed, and they go get weapons, and they put it all together. I've never seen it happen where it failed. I've never seen it. Now, does that mean that the Rams are going to win the Super Bowl this year? No, but I have never seen it <laughs> fail. <laughs> this is just that would be nice. <laughs> yeah, 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 that would be nice. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I've, I've never ever seen that 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 um, that idea and that concept fail before. Um, it just it doesn't happen when you when you go get a young quarterback and you make him the focus and you put that that staff around him where they know what they're doing offensively, know what they're doing. And you put some weapons around him. You go get yourself a Willie uh, Semi Watkins. You get yourself a sure-handed Cooper Cup. You know you still have Todd Gurley, who's trying to get trying to get you know work out some smaller things as far as the, the, the smaller nuances of playing the position, but still as an explosive player. You know you still have a team out there who can rip one at any time. You know you go get a Gerald Avery. You have a Tyler Higby. You know the, the weapons are just everywhere. But more than anything. You help him up front by bringing in Andrew Whitworth to protect his blind side. And in my opinion, the best addition to this offense, as far as Jared Goff goes, who's going to help him the most, it's not Andrew Whitworth, it's not Cooper Cup, it's not Robert Woods, Sammy Watkins. It's um, when, you, when you go out and you get yourself a center who knows what they're doing, and you say, hey, I need him to understand – what the uh, defense is doing pre-snap. And we need protection to – we need a guy who understands protection that can relay it back to him pre-snap. <laughs> you know, um, don't – because that's one of his – that was one of his biggest flaws is not being able to identify the pressure, not knowing where it's coming from, and kind of putting himself in a, um, a bad situation from the very beginning. And that's what he now has – when the Rams went out and got John Phillips, is they went out and got a smart veteran who knows how to protect his quarterback pre-snap, who can make sure he understands that, who can relate those, relate the, the protection schemes to the quarterback so he knows where the hot read needs to be and all those things. And now that they have John Sullivan, they have, they have someone who's going to help golf more than anyone else because pre-snap, Killed him last year. Uh, that's that's just when the and it wasn't it wasn't something that defensive coordinators didn't act like they didn't know when they realized it and that's how it is in the NFL. They find your weakness. It's like sharks in the water and they smell blood and they are everywhere. When they realize it, they will attack it. And I use it as an example all the time. That game against the Cardinals, I've never seen a team blitz so much in my life. They was like the, mm-hmm. he doesn't know how to stop the blitz. He doesn't know how to read you know, get the ball out. And part of that is on golf. Part of that is on coaching. You have to teach him. But then it's like how many times you have to be punched in your mouth before you realize, I need to get this ball out. <laughs> you know, I need to make an adjustment somehow. You know, so that's why I say it's part on him, part on the coaching. But 
Um, having John Sullivan is going to help in that area so much, and that's going to make him more comfortable. Um, so I do expect Jared Goff to uh, improve, and I've said that quite a bit. I think Sean McVay not not necessarily going to, but already has, you know, changed the dynamic of this offense and changed the way Jared Goff thinks and compares. I think that he's going to be a much better quarterback because of the arrival of Sean McVay. So we also have here, next question, um, this one, Gary, you posed, talking about some Tavon Austin. What is his role? <laughs> this is like a weekly question now. <laughs> yeah. What is Tavon Austin's role? Um, what do you think? What are you thinking? I really have no idea. I mean, What do you think, uh, <laughs> Jeremiah? I'll go ahead. No, well, I mean, I mean what, gadget guy. I mean, that's no, no. I was just gonna say gadget guy. That's about all I can come with, come up with. Well, I was thinking. Uh, I mean, Tavon, he might can be a down the field threat. I mean, we haven't really seen him in a offensive scheme. You know, that could really use him across the field. We always use him in the backfield with a poor old line. You know, in little ways, he's still explosive. He still makes plays. I mean, it seems like everybody's improved under Sean McVay. I don't see why Tavon wouldn't, which is the most probably the most explosive guy on the offense. I don't see why he couldn't. You know, one thing I don't think, you know, enough Rams fans know about Tavon um, is how hard of a worker he is. Dude mm-hmm. puts in the time. He works. Like, he really, really mm-hmm. works hard. And it's really, it's really um, – impressive to see how hard he works but then it's also pretty crazy to think about he's never just like we just like we say with Jared Goff you know well look at the situation he was in the same thing can be said about Tavon Austin you know um, when he came into the NFL the Rams had Sam Bradford who's by far the best quarterback the Rams have had since 2010 until Jared Goff even to until now because we can't we can't even say Jared Goff is has played better than Sam Bradford. You know, Sam Bradford has been the best quarterback the Rams have had since 2010. But Sam Bradford got hurt his rookie season, uh, uh, Tavon Austin's rookie season. And then he got hurt again the following season. And then you bring in Nick Foles, who was just boo-boo. <laughs> and then, you know, you yeah, got Kelly Sanders back it up. You got Case Keenum. And <laughs> it, just, it was never ending, you know. So you have the quarterback situation. You have the coaching situation, which was absolutely horrendous. You know, they just – they didn't know how to run an offense for anything. Um, you don't have yes. that much speed, and you just tell him to run three yard out. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know, so a, a part of it you can say in his defense that uh, he's never really had the opportunity that he's going to have this year with Sean McVay. And I've said it before, uh, even with the addition of Sammy Watkins, I don't think Sean McVay is in a hurry to get rid of Tavon Austin. No – no offensive no coach in the NFL <laughs> will want to get rid of that much that much explosiveness that hasn't you know had he not shown anything at all that'd be one thing but he's shown a lot you know and he's scored 20, 21 touchdowns so far in his career and uh, yeah, he's had some 300, 300 pro purpose yeah, yards games <laughs> exactly you know more than once <laughs> you know he, he he's got like two a year you know two a year and uh, where he got three hundred all purpose yards and. Uh, he's he's had six touchdowns called back. He's 
he scored almost 30 touchdowns in his four seasons, you know. So it's not like he's been a complete bust, <laughs> you know. And that's, that's as far from that. I think the, the disappointment is that he's never developed to this number one receiver with, where he goes out and gets 12, 1,300 yards, which I never expected him to do. Tavon Austin is the same exact player he was at West Virginia. And everything he did in West Virginia, he's doing now. He's running the ball. He's receiving the ball. He's returning the ball. He's scoring a lot of touchdowns, but he's not doing it at a, a clip that I think people were expecting to magically start happening. People have to realize he was not the touchdown scorer at West Virginia. That was Stedman Bailey. <laughs> um, even yeah, in his final yeah, season at West Virginia, uh, uh, he only had, I think, 12 touchdowns. Uh, I'm talking about Tavon Austin. Stedman Bailey's final season, he had 24, 25. <laughs> you know, so the guy who scored the touchdowns was Stedman Bailey. Tavon Austin was that explosive playmaker, which he still is. He's the exact same player, but he's never going to be that 1,200-yard player. He is a guy who, in his best season, under the right tutelage, which I think Sean McVay could be, the problem is now you have a stacked offense, so he probably won't get the touches to reach this. But in his best season, I think that Tavon Austin is an 800-yard receiver, a 400-yard runner, and he's probably going to get you two touchdowns on return. That's who he is. He's going to get you 1,200 yards on offense in his best season total. Not in one stat, not in one statistical category, you know. And he's probably going to get you seven to nine touchdowns total in a season, just from a variety of ways. That's what he is. But that is great production, you know. That's really, really good production. That's great. Attacking in so many ways, you know. So that's why I say I'm not, I'm not crazy but about it's, it's the, the it's the it's the contract. That's the issue. Yeah, it's the contract yeah, it's being the, the contract. eighth overall pick. Tavon Austin should have never been the eighth overall pick. I never in a million years thought Tavon Austin was going to go in the top ten when he came out. I was excited for him to be a rim. I think a lot of people was. There's very few people that wasn't. Oh, yeah. But never in a million years I think he was going to be the eighth overall pick. The, the receiver that I liked most in that draft was DeAndre Hopkins. That was my favorite receiver in that draft. And Stanley Bailey was my second favorite receiver in that draft. <laughs> you know, so it wasn't – it wasn't um, – Tavon Austin as my number one. I thought he was the most explosive, and he's proven to be explosive at the NFL level. But I never thought he was going to be a twelve hundred yard receiver. That was just that was crazy. That was crazy talk. Now, does that mean he can't be good? No, absolutely not. Small guys are good all the time in the NFL. This 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 false sense <laughs> that they have to be six three and two hundred twenty pounds. I don't understand why people still say that with some of the best receivers we've seen in the last fifteen years. Have been under six feet, <laughs> so that's true. I, I don't, I don't get it. It's, it's, it's a mystery to me. I just say, let the guy go out there and play. If he's producing, let him produce. That contract has something has to be done about it. But as long as he's producing, I say let the guy produce. So will they cut him next year? Um, I don't know. I yeah, I, was, I look, I looked this up, and according to Spot Track, it's um. He's got a he's got a five million in dead money next year, and you would save yeah. three million if you cut him. But then the next right. year, he has no dead money. Correct. I don't think it's going to be just a. a I, don't, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion he's cut. Um, I think. Yeah, I don't, it I don't said, think so. It, it was said last week. I, it was said last week on the show that this is the true make or break year. For Tavon Austin, yeah. I, I agree. I think it's truly a break year. This, this determines if Tavon Austin is a Ram next year or not. And even if he's not, we'll see more Tavon Austin somewhere. He's not gonna 
you know, if he gets cut, oh, yeah, somebody's going to pick him up. Somebody snatches yeah, him like, up. Cap <laughs> casualty. Know? Exactly. New England will take him. <laughs> exactly. New England, I, I said the same thing, actually. <laughs> when we, I, the exact same thing came out of my mouth when the Rams got Sammy Watkins and everybody was just like, oh, is he going to be gone? I said, if he's gone, New England's going to be killed. <laughs> because, for one, <laughs> it seems like all ex-Rams become New England players. <laughs> and then, two, um, that's the type of player they would love to have. A guy that can, that's, that's multi-talented and you can use him in a bunch of different ways that has New England written all over. Now, will he be able to understand New England's concept? It's a different story. A lot of people should yeah. go there thinking that they're just going to go play it and kill it. It's very hard to understand their playbook <laughs> because it's so many different option routes. And it's, uh, and it's all about the timing and being on the exact same page. Like, you have to basically see the exact same thing that Tom Brady sees. Do you know how great your eyes have to be? <laughs> so, yeah, that, that would be the only thing. But I wouldn't be surprised to see them take a shot at him if he was if the Rams were to move on. But I think it depends on this year. I mean, I think it largely depends on three things. I think it depends on, you know, him, himself, how he plays. I think it depends on how the young guys do. If, you know, Cup, Reynolds, you know, those guys really are good pieces in McVay's offense. And then what we talked about before with the defense, um, like how much money are you playing around with to re-sign all those guys? So I think, I think it's a bunch right. of factors with Tavon. Yeah, that and that's fact. There's a – I think Tavon would be willing to – uh, negotiate his, renegotiate his contract. I do. I really do think that. Um, Tavon, like I said, he's such a hard worker. And the other thing about him is he's such a team guy. You know, he 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 really plays for his team. So I definitely think that if they approached him about reworking his contract, he'd be um, he'd be open to it. But again, I think it all depends on how this season goes. You know, they're not going to just approach you to redo your contract if they can cut you if you they feel like it's just best to cut you. But if they feel like they're sure somebody needs to be kept around. They're going to keep you around. So it, it's going to be an interesting uh, year for Tavon Austin. But Sean McVay said that there's a pretty good chance he could play in uh, this third preseason game, which would be um, interesting to see because he's missed so much time. But like I said, he works hard, so I know he's staying in shape. So we'll see how it goes. Um, next question, um, Jeremiah, you asked, what are the expectations for the defense under Wade Phillips? Now, this is interesting because, you know, I mentioned it earlier, Wade Phillips is somebody who comes in and he takes it to the next level um, immediately. Now, Gary, you asked what the expectations past 2017. Jeremiah, I think you're asking more so, like, immediate expectations, right? Yes, sir. So what are you thinking? What are you thinking we should be expecting from a Wade Phillips defense that, should should this is not set in stone considering he's not available. Should consist of an Aaron Donald and the Alec Ogletree, Tremaine Johnson and Lamarcus Joyner. You know you have these guys sitting around these certain pieces. You know Michael Brockers, who I think is really going to excel in this game. Um, you have these guys around here uh, built really well for the three four. Aaron Donald can play anywhere on the defensive line. Um, so I'm not really worried about his switch to defensive end. You have a healthy Robert Quinn. So what are your thoughts as far as expectations goes for Wade Phillips this season? I believe the defense could solidify itself as a top five defense this year. Um, I believe people are asleep on the secondary. I believe the additions of uh, of uh, the cornerback from Buffalo, uh, Nickel Roby. Yeah. 
Look, that's that was a great that was a great addition. I believe he caught uh, two interceptions on golf last year, if I'm not mistaken. He did. And he took one to and the he house. Returned one for, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that was that was a good addition. Uh Michael Mike Jordan, he has looked good at this preseason. So I mean I believe yeah. I believe they're gonna solidify themselves. But Connor Barn, that was a great great addition. He struggled last year, but he wasn't in a three four scheme, so I think yeah. he's gonna uh, rebound this year, have a bounce back this year. Nah, I'm, uh, I'm excited I to see. I agree with that. I'm excited to uh, see how we uh, use Mark Barron because I believe that's one that's of, one of our uh, one of our key players. I think uh, Mark Barron he he created create a lot of them turnovers. Yeah, that's what I want to see. I think people forget who Mark Barron was in college. You know, in the NFL, he's strictly been a hitter. You know, he he flamed out very quickly as a safety. Uh, as a linebacker, you know, he's not really created many, many splash plays. He's just kind of a hard hitter. And, you know, it's not like he's laying the wood 15 times a game. You know, he catches you every once in a while. But in Alabama, yeah, he was a hard hitter, and people recognized him as a hard hitter. But he was a ball hawk. Like, he had the ability to find the ball. Now, I know guys are rarely the same player they are in college, but he had that rare – Troy Palomaro and Reed Sean Taylor type ability to find the ball. You just haven't seen that in the NFL, and you know it's when you have when guys have that rare ability, you usually see that translate into the NFL. You saw what Ha Ha Clinton did when he was uh, at Alabama, and now that he's now three years into the NFL, his first year he's a rookie. You know, you cut him slack. He wasn't really the ball hawk, but then last two years. Ha-ha, Clinton Dix has been all over the field. He's, you know, he's constantly around the ball. You just don't see that with Mark Barrett. And it's, it's a head-scratcher. So I'm very interested to see if Wade Phillips can put him in position to succeed. Because from my understanding, um, Wade Phillips has a more of a roam type, a let-you-roam type of uh, system where it's, kind of, it makes, it's very simplified. And they call certain calls where guys specifically – um, sometimes it might be Ogletree, sometimes it's Mark Barron, sometimes it's Lamarcus Jordan, but guys specifically are allowed to roam and do their thing more often, which could free him up. You know, so I, I'm very interested to see how that goes. For That's him. interesting. Uh, yeah, it's very it's very interesting. So <laughs> since he gives that freedom, um, he's not really restricting guys. So uh, maybe his football instinct can take over more. But I, I think it'll be interesting to see how they use Barron. What's your thoughts on the situation with uh, the defense this year, uh, Garrett? Um, the one position that intrigues me, honestly, is the defensive line rotation. Like they had the mob squad for you know for you know like four or five years, but um, like I'm interested about like some of those you know undrafted late round pick guys like uh, Price, Smart, Fox, Longacre. I'm really interested to see what they can do in Phillips' system. You know, with easily out for the year, like and just yeah. how they rotate in and out. They looked pretty impressive in the first preseason game. And then, you know, with mm-hmm. a lot of defensive starters out the last against the Raiders, you know, couldn't see as much with them. But I'm, I'm just interested to see what those guys can do, like, you know, in and out, like trinketus sets, like those kind of guys. I think they're the most intriguing group on the defense this year. You know what? I'm really, really looking forward to seeing uh, Juan Price and Tanzel Smart in game four of the preseason because that's when you're going to see those guys play a lot. And I'm huge, huge, huge on those two. Like, those are two guys I was scouting that I was in love with, especially Juan Price. I've been looking at him for about five years. Like he, he's really, 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 really good. Um, and I think that 
and I've said this a million times over, and I'm going to keep saying it, if Juan Price was four inches taller and 15 pounds heavier, he's a top 20 draft pick. Even with the injuries that he suffered when he was at hit, he's a top 20 draft pick. I don't care what anyone says, he cannot convince me differently. Um, but when you, add, when you add in his size, and then you have those injuries, I think that drops him. And so we've seen this player before coming to the NFL. It was Elvis Doomerville. Elvis Doomerville went on to enjoy a 13-year career, <laughs> you know, and multiple Pro Bowl selections and all pros. And you know, it's, it's like the size thing, it's just like what I was saying about the receiver, it doesn't always, doesn't always handle what I think a player can do. You know, if you can play, you can play. <laughs> it's just that simple. Mm-hmm. Look at Aaron Donald. I remember scouting Aaron size. I remember scouting Aaron Donald, and I, re- I remember putting out my big board onto the site, and I had, Aaron, I had Aaron Donald as one of my top 20 players. And then I redid my big board, you know, like a month later after, like I had already watched a lot of film on guys, but the next, next month I really dug into Aaron Donald even more. And I jacked him up to a top 10 player. And some of the guys at the site ate me alive. They were like, what? He's too small. He, he's going to get killed in the trenches. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> The way he plays on film is, is something, you know, your eyes just don't lie to you, you know. And Aaron Donald, he, he just played with so much leverage there. And my number one uh, rebuttal when guys would tell me, you know, he's too small, was that his tackles for loss. It wasn't so much his sacks. He had 28 tackles for loss in his final season at Pitt. That is a staggering number. <laughs> and when you watch the line. field, he just was so good at getting under guys' pads. He was already shorter than him. But then he'd get even lower, and he was so strong that when he'd get up under you, there was absolutely nothing you could do you lost. And I'm just like, I don't see any reason he can't do that as a pro. He's killing these guys. I feel like he's going to be a really, really good pro. He ended up being even better than I thought. But, but I, mean, I mean, that just goes to say what, how good he really is because I thought he was going to be really good. He turned out to be really great. But um, you, sometimes you just see guys on film and you're just like, this guy's just a good football player. That's what I think Juan Price is. You know, uh, Aaron Donald, he's one of the first people that mentioned, like, how hard of a worker he is. You know, so it's something about those pit guys, I guess. They just work them hard. <laughs> they instill it. But I think Juan Price is going to be a good player. So we have the next question, and it's talking about the offensive line. Now, this is a scary subject for me. And, Joe <laughs> – Joe, we miss you, buddy. <laughs> Joe's favorite thing to talk about is who's the backup for Andrew Whitworth. <laughs> oh, and, Lord. You know, I told him before yeah. the season started, I said Pace Murphy. <laughs> I said that's what I'm thinking oh. right now. Oh. Pace Murphy was the absolute <laughs> worst lineman on the field in week one of the preseason. And he got replaced. And in this last game, it was Darrell Williams. He was a little bit better than Pace Murphy, but, man, he's still not good enough to be a backup. He's a third-string left tackle, not your second. And Pace Murphy shouldn't even be playing. So, so you know, I'm, 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 my question is, you know, kind of piggybacking off of your question, uh, Garrett, and your question is besides Havenstein, what is there to build around? My question is, how much more do we need to invest into this line? <laughs> because you, you, you mentioned that Saffold and uh, Sullivan and Whitworth, they're not going to be around forever. They're all up there. You know, Saffold, he – he just turned 30, I believe, and then, or he's 29. And then, um, you, you know, Sullivan is 32, and Whitworth's 34, so 35. So, yeah, they don't have much longer. Sappho might have another three years of decent, of, 
let's just say two years of decent play, probably three years of being serviceable. Uh, they're probably going to be out the door after that. So, yeah, I mean, it is time to really start thinking about the future. Uh, Whitworth, he's playing really, really well late into his career, but realistically, he probably has like two really good years left. He could possibly do three years. It all depends on how his body holds up. But um, Sullivan, his body has been crap the past two years. I'm only happy about his addition because of the mental side, not the physical side, <laughs> mentally what he can bring for golf. So my question is, how much more do we have to invest in this line? Because right now it's looking iffy. We've we brought in so many linemen in the past three years. Um, who out of the group? You know, you have a Cody Wiggins and an Andrew Dardell, Jamal Brown, all these guys outside of Rob Hayden's side. Who, who do you think to possibly step up, or do we just need to scrap them all? Well, going back to the whole Fisher-Sneed era, it seemed like on all these graphics they hit on all the defensive players. But then, you know, they have a really, really sketchy track record on the offensive players. So yeah. a lot of these guys I was hopeful in their first year. I thought, like, Wickman was solid, and, like, Havenstein had a really good rookie year. But I mean, other yeah, other than Havenstein, I, I I don't know if any of these other guys can be around by the time their rookie rookie deals are up. So like, I don't know if you have to reinvest on every position like again. I mean, you would know better than I about some of those other like the undrafted guys. Um, but I mean, yeah, in two three years, you might have to be reinvesting in a whole new line. What are you thinking, Jeremiah? Uh, I like that the undrafted pick, uh, the center. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I think it's Eldricom. Yeah, I believe he's going to give him a few years to develop. I think he'll be solid. He was a really good player for Washington. He was a very, very good player. So I really wouldn't be shocked if you're right. You know, you you give him a few years and sort of like – Rodney McLeod or Benny Cunningham, you know, another one of those undrafted guys who really just kind of shine. I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's the case. And, you know, Gary, you you 100% right about the success rate of players, you know, that they brought in for defense as opposed to offense. And when your offense is so bad, you're constantly investing more into the offense than you do the defense. So, you know, you look at them and you say, well, they hit a lot on some of these defensive players in their offense. They just missed and missed and missed. And like, they didn't have an offensive, offensive minded staff at all. There wasn't one brilliant offensive mind on the staff the entire Jeff Fisher era. You know, the the best mind they had offensively was uh, Brian Schottenheimer. Wow. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. Let that sink in for a moment. <laughs> That was the best uh, they could do. And Brian right. Schottenheimer, at least Brian Schottenheimer, was able to get the, the offense to be ranked. I think the best he did was like 16th or 17th in the NFL in like his first or second season. Um, that was that was the absolute best. There's been absolutely no mind even remotely close to Brian Schottenheimer offensively on this staff since then. So when you which take makes, that into consideration. No, I was just going to say when – I was just going to say, which makes it crazy now to think about how good the defense got over Fisher's five years and just how they couldn't scrounge up enough on offense to make the playoffs in any one of these years. Yeah. Like, you know, to to give the responsibility to someone else on offense, to not play Fisher ball, to not, 
you know, short, like short pass, you know, run plays, just creativity on offense, just something to scrounge up enough on offense to, you know, get to nine or 10 wins. Yeah. And I agree with you. It's, it is crazy to think about. And it's like you have, you have the ability to put together a good defense. Uh, a defense that's, the defense has been good enough to win, uh, to get to the playoffs. This defense has been good enough. And, even though they've missed on a lot of offensive picks, um, they have had a good enough offense to get to the playoffs. You know, which is why you have to turn your attention to the to the, the, the offense, uh, to me, to the coaching staff, because your team has been good enough to, at the very least, win eight games, which you could never do. Um, it does make you wonder that. And that's why I love this current staff because it's built so well-balanced. You have Wade Phillips, one of the best defensive coordinators to ever do it. And then you have Sean McVay, who's one of the brightest young offensive minds in the NFL today. Um, that's balance. <laughs> you know, you have on the offensive staff, you got a bunch of young guys and older guys, just a great mix, but they're all really well-experienced. you got, you know uh, – you got Olsen working with Jerry, uh, excuse me, Jerry Goff. You know, you, you brought in um, on defense, you, you've heard about, you kept, you kept uh, team commander John Fossil, which was smart <laughs> to say the yeah, least. Yeah, very smart. <laughs> that was very smart. Uh, not only is he one of the best special teams coaches in the league, which I don't think people give the Rams enough credit for. Over, since John Fossil has been with the Rams for the past five years, they have been one of the top ranked special teams units in the NFL. Every year they've yeah. been five. Some years number one. <laughs> they have been one of the top ranked off, uh, special teams units. And special teams unit means kickoff, kick return, punt, punt return, field goals, field goal block. They have been one of the best in all of those categories combined every year for the past five years. That consistently and, and again, go goes back to the scouting. I mean, they find these guys to play special teams, you know, Benny Cunningham to return kicks, Marquez, McLeod, yeah, Ray Ray Armstrong. I mean, uh, Darren Bates, all these guys to play good special teams and good defense and just they couldn't figure it out on offense. It just, you know, it makes it that much more infuriating. I, I agree. It does. It, it really makes it infuriating, you know. And that's why I say I like this, this staff. You know, Matt LaFleur, he's another bright, young offensive mind. Um, Joe Barry has been around forever, you know, and he's one of those guys that's had so much success working with a lot of different linebackers over the years. They have this great mix of young coaches who got a lot of praise when they were when they signed with the Rams. Then you got bring in Aaron Cromer, another guy that's been around for a while and he's had a lot of success. I mentioned Greg Olson, you know, the success that he's had as a uh, quarterback coach and as an offensive coordinator. Uh, it's just I really, really like what they're doing um, with the staff. They've, they've really done a great job with bringing in the right pieces to mix it up, to not just go with the flow, I guess, I because I think that's kind of what it was with Flip Fisher. It was like, well, he's the guy, he's in charge. We're just kind of going with the flow. You know, they bring in a Eric, um, Eric Yarber, wide receivers coach, who has – been around the block, <laughs> you know. This this is a person who's been coaching for a long time, and he's worked with so many different 
good wide receivers. And it's just like, I think they, they, they figured it out as far as the coaching staff goes, how that, how it all starts from the top and trickles its way down. And now that they, now that they're putting it together, I think they're in a position to really do some damage. Yeah, I like. I don't think McVeigh's like the next next Josh McDaniels, or, you know, who thinks he knows it all. Like, I, I think he no, recognizes no, it. I, I think it definitely helps that uh, you know having a grandfather who knew to have people surround him to you know a good support staff to build around and you know build. That's I mean, true. he built a pretty good pretty good staff. I mean, so he recognizes you know I can't do this all on my own. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you 100 percent on that. What's your thoughts on this topic before we move forward, Jeremiah? Uh, I believe Sean McVay, and uh, he did a great, great job assembling the coaching staff from Wade to Lewis, Matt LaFleur. Uh, he's done Greg Olson. He's done a great job. Uh, I believe uh, he did a, a great job of getting the offense together. I believe that's going to thrive under the system. Yeah, they, they've got some weapons. And to have the offensive minds they got, oh, boy. The future is very bright for these men. Like I said, I've never seen this concept used, and it fails. I've never seen it. <laughs> it just, I just have not seen it. Um, I think this offense is going to be much better this year, and then I really think moving forward, we're going to really see them be able to spread the wings a bit. Um, one thing before we move forward, because uh, we're going to get to our last bit here before we uh, get out of here, um, we didn't have anyone get hired from Jeff Fisher's staff. You know, you always see coaches get job offers in the off season when time when Black Monday comes and everyone gets the axe. <laughs> the coaches are getting fired left and right, and staffs are cleaned out. That's when coaches start getting opportunities to you know, advance their career. In Jeff Fisher's five years, no one got one opportunity. No one had the opportunity wow. to advance their career. So the coaching staff that he put together, they weren't that successful. And it was noticed around the league. It wasn't just an issue of just Jeff Fisher or you couldn't just blame the players and let's see. The coaches really, really struggled. And that says a lot um, about the, the situations the Rams were in, that no one ever got any sort of opportunity to advance their career. If they got another job, it was the same or it was a lower position. So that, that that's kind of telling, and that was very rare that anyone even got a job. Um uh. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> when I first heard, when I first realized that stat, I was just like, "That is freaky," because so many coaches get interviewed after Black or uh, Black Monday. <laughs> when the coaches get fired, and on Black Monday after that last game, that last game, Sunday game, and then that next Monday at the first weekend, the first week of playoffs, coaches are starting to get the axe all over. That's when a lot of coaches get interviewed, and no one got any from Jeff Fisher's team. So. That, that reminds me of, like, after, uh, that reminds me after, like, Spagnuolo got fired in uh, 2011. Like, none of those players, none of them had another team after that. None of them. <laughs> yeah. None <laughs> of them. That's usually pretty telling of a situation. So, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm really interested to see how things go moving forward. All right. So, before we get out of here, um, I thought that Garrett, he threw out kind of a random question, you know, earlier. Uh, before the show, which I thought was a really good thing to end off on. And uh, if it, it was his, his thing was, you know, if he had time, he wanted to talk about chances of Isaac Bruce and Tory Holt making the Hall of Fame. So it's, 
I love this this conversation. This is a conversation I've had a thousand times with my dad and friends and stuff. I personally think that they're both going to get in. I think that that's a foregone conclusion. I think we're all, we all know they're going to get in. They have to, right? Uh, they were two of the best receivers to play the game the past 15, 20 years. Yeah, I, I have the, the rundown. If you want me, like, uh, the, yeah, I have the rundown Go for receivers. It. Go for it. The floor is yours. So, so T.O., Terrell Owens, was already eligible this year, didn't get in, which is, I thought, crazy. But, you know, it's more of an indictment. Yeah. Randy Moss is eligible next year. And but then you have a you have a list of like six guys after that who you have to wait until at least twenty twenty, I think, until they can get in. So, you know, that means the next two years are open, probably more likely twenty nineteen, but uh like Reggie Wayne's eligible in twenty twenty. Uh Calvin Johnson twenty twenty one, even though I'm not sure if he has enough of a resume overall, but then you know, uh Andre Johnson, Steve Smith in 2022, but then, you know, like, uh, Heinz Wards is still out there. Larry Fitzgerald's still playing. So, I mean, they really have a time frame in these next two to four years, really, to really get in there for some of these guys who are just ending their career now until they're eligible. Gary coming with the stats. <laughs> he came well, I, with I think, a man on a mission for that one. <laughs> No, I, I think, honestly, if anything, I think Bruce of the two deserves to be in more. I think the one thing that people underrate about Bruce is that he has a game-winning catch in the Super Bowl. I think that doesn't yep. get talked about enough and made a huge adjustment adjustment on the play to even catch that and, you know, run it the rest of the way in. I I think that doesn't get Bruce talked was about always, enough. I think Bruce was always, always open. Yeah. Always. You know, I think he was able to do with guys like Tony Banks as his quarterback. His second season, okay, second season in the NFL, he had almost 1,800 yards in season. Let that soak in. <laughs> His second season in yeah. the end, he had almost 1,800 yards receiving. I don't remember the exact amount of receptions, but it was like 120, 125 receptions. I think it was like crazy. I think it was 120. You know, that's insane. <laughs> that is an insane yeah. amount. He finished his career in the top ten of so many uh, statistical categories for receiver. Top ten in receiving yards. He finished with over 15,000 receiving yards. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I think he was number three on the list when he retired, and uh, he stayed three for a yeah, while. I think, I think he's, uh, Randy Moss. I think he's fourth. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think Randy fourth. Moss just passed him you know, right before he retired. But um, he was number three in um, that, and he was, I think, number three in receptions or number two in receptions, something like that. Uh, he was, like, number five in touchdowns. <laughs> he's top five or top ten in almost every single category that even matters as a receiver. Um, yeah, he's. I think he's as much of a guaranteed lock to make the Hall of Fame as you can be. It goes back to this backlog of receivers, you know, being stopped from getting in for whatever reason. I, to this day, I don't know why it's so hard for receivers to get in. There shouldn't even be a backlog. You know, if you're first ballot, you're first ballot. True. Let him in. Like T.O., this is going on his third year of being eligible that's coming up. There's no reason T.O. shouldn't be, because in my opinion, T.O. is the second-best receiver of all time. 
that's certainly what the statistics is. Every, he's better yeah. than everyone in every category except for Jerry Rice. <laughs> you know, you don't you, you don't got to like the guy's attitude or whatever it is. I will say this about T.O. He was unbelievably competitive, which is what you wanted. He was always he was always competitive. I think that's part of the issue. Was he was so competitive, he got the best of him. But he never got in trouble. You never saw T.O. on the news. <laughs> you know, he wasn't in trouble or anything like that. He was never in court. You know, he just he, – he said the wrong things about his teammates. There's no denying that. But T.O. should definitely be in there. But Isaac Bruce, once you get past T.O., I definitely think Isaac Bruce is the next guy that 100% hands down deserves to be in as far as receivers go. He, uh, and, and, and then this Moss. Is, this is, yeah, and then Moss. And then all this, yeah, but, you Moss. know, Moss hasn't been eligible. That's all the reason I didn't don't say his name. No, Moss I'm saying next year, next year is Moss. Yeah, Moss is definitely, definitely going in. <laughs> you know, definitely. Well, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. You know, as yeah. far as who's been eligible so far, um, I definitely think that Tory Holt and Isaac Bruce show, both should already be in there. Um, but we have to remember all these stats with Isaac Bruce. He, he was very, very healthy throughout his career. But in 1998, that was the one time where he missed a huge chunk of the season. He only played five games. So think about how different those stats could be. You know, we, we're talking about possibly mm-hmm. having an extra 1,000 yards, you know, finishing with 16,000 receiving yards and, you know, over 100 touchdowns. You know, so he just missed 16,000 yards and he just missed 100 touchdowns, you know. So that's pretty telling about who Isaac Bruce was as a player. And then as far as Torrey Holt goes, again, like I said, I think they're both going to get in. Torrey Holt, not quite the career as Isaac Bruce. You know, he wasn't – he didn't sustain his uh, top-notch play for as long as Isaac Bruce. But Torrey Holt, some of the things that Torrey Holt did on the field, I think people forget sometimes. <laughs> so, so then, like, where, where would you – Yeah. What'd you say? Oh, I was just going to – like, so where would you rank Holt amongst that group I said earlier? Steve Smith, Fitzgerald, Andre Johnson, Reggie Wayne, Calvin Johnson. Okay, so I think he's ahead of Calvin Johnson. I never in my in, – in yeah. the entire time Calvin Johnson was in the NFL, I never thought he was the best receiver at any point in his career. Um, I just felt like he was the biggest freak. That's it. Yeah, you know, with okay. him, with yeah. him, he was a freak athlete, and Matthew Stafford used to just throw it up. But And that's what's scary about it, because I think about what he could be had he ever fine-tuned the nuances of his position like those other guys. You look at Fitz, the way he runs certain routes, the way he understands how to get open, you just, and his consistency with his hands. Like, you saw too many drop balls from Calvin Johnson, he didn't really have a full route tree at any point in his career. He was just a freak athlete, <laughs> you know. That and to and if he was to ever fine tune those things, there's no. I really think that Calvin Johnson probably gets over two thousand yards and see twice in his career because he's that big of a That's freak. <laughs> because he's that big of a freak. But was he ever the best receiver? Just the best at his job? I don't think he was. Uh, I don't think he. I don't think he was better than Torrey Holt as a receiver. He's just a bigger freak athlete and was just fed, fed force fed the ball throughout his career. Uh, so no, I don't think he. Uh, I don't think that I would put him above Torrey Holt. But then when you talk about Fitzgerald, that's when it gets close. 
I would have to give the nod to Tory Holt because he does have a championship ring. Um, but then after that, I cannot put him above Steve Smith, even though Steve Smith doesn't have a championship ring. What Steve Smith did to the game, especially at five nine, was he, he was unstoppable, and he wasn't just he was unstoppable all the way till he retired. <laughs> you know, it, yeah, what he was able to do was so ridiculously impressive, and to play as well as he did that point in his career, I think Steve Smith, he set the bar to new levels for receivers. You know, he was one of the first to be both just a kickoff return guy to being a dominant receiver. He was one of the first. And I, I, I still and, got nightmares about that 03 double overtime touchdown. Oh, my touchdown. God. That oh, touchdown man. Why did he yeah, bring it up? Crazy. Oh, okay, show's over. We're done. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, no. Man, oh, my goodness. I mean, I'm the ultimate – Dude, I'm the ultimate pessimist Rams fan. It's just been all downhill for a long time. Oh, yeah, uh, I'm the same way. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so Steve Smith, I don't think that I don't think I can put Tory Holt above Steve Smith. Um, I mean, if you want a better example, look at what happened. Look at what he did to Janoris Jenkins when Janoris Jenkins pissed him off. I think we all remember. Yeah, that, that. was. Uh... <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. He embarrassed Janoris so bad, like. I have yet to see another receiver literally go up to the line, tell him what I'm about to do because you made me mad. Do it. Talk trash in your face. Talk trash to your team. Then come back and do it again. Like Steve Smith, different animal. You have to give him his credit. Steve Smith, in my opinion, should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I believe that T.O. should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. Randy Moss should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And I can understand why you wouldn't want to put Isaac Bruce first ballot, but I would definitely say Isaac Bruce should have been first ballot because first of his stats. You know, it's it's unbelievable what he did in his career. But in the for the receivers you listed, I'll go T.O., Randy Moss, and Isaac Bruce being there at number three. Sounds fair. So, any uh, guys got any closing statements for our for our first ever? guest co-host uh, on the CSR? Oh, no, man. I'm just excited for the upcoming season. Hopefully I get to catch up my first NFL game. I'm trying to go to the Dallas Cowboys game when they play in Dallas. So, looking forward to that. All right. What about you, Garrett? Got anything for us before we get out of here? No, I just wanted to say thanks. And like, you know, n- nice to talk to some Rams fan, you know, that isn't my dad, you know. Uh, there's not that many Rams fans in New Jersey, so that's a little bit hard. No, but I, <laughs> I would say, I um, imagine. Not that uh, many in Texas yeah. either. <laughs> uh, no, I was just going to say, I actually put up a fan post on on the site a couple of days ago. And it was just uh, something I wrote in the summer, and I just remembered to put it up. And then once you know this opportunity came around, and it was just the top 20 Rams of the past decade. So that's up on the fan post part. So that was just my one shout-out kind of thing. Uh, and it was a really hard list to make out. Got to make sure you shout-out to that you write. <laughs> Why? Why was it hard? Oh, no, just because, you know, they've been really bad. <laughs> you know, not, a lot of win- not a lot of winning seasons, no. That's why I asked. I figured it should be easy to identify who was good. <laughs> Russell no, no, like the top 10 is probably easy, but like 11 through 20 is pretty hard. <laughs> well, everybody make sure you get over to the fan section, check it out. 
Make sure that you uh, comment. I'm definitely going to go check it out myself. I usually do pretty good at getting over there. Even though I don't always comment, I read a lot of fan posts. So everyone make sure you go have a look. Uh, this this has been a fun episode. Yeah, I definitely have enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to doing it. Yeah, this has been great. Yeah, this has been great. We're going to do a lot of these throughout the season. we got another one next week with two more fans that were chosen. We won't do another one until the season, but we're going to do about four more in the season, four or five more during the season. So definitely looking forward to it. Definitely been real. You know, make sure that you guys are following us at, uh, t- on Turn Show Times over on Twitter. Make sure that you're following myself, Mighty or Mike's on Twitter, as well as Joe, even though he doesn't want to hang with us. <laughs> make sure you're following Joe at 3K <laughs> underscore. And make sure, you're, uh, make sure you're listening to the show and getting those questions in. We love to answer the questions. All right, it's been real. Definitely enjoyed it. See you all next week. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Is off. The Rams get down so nobody scores. And don't you worry, cause the Rams are rapping when game time comes, we'll be back to laughing. We can't sing and our dance is not pretty, but we'll do our best for the team and the city. So get on your feet and clap your hands. Let's ram it right now with the LA Rams. Hollywood Hanson, Dodge City Tough. If you throw it my way, it's gonna get rough. I like to ram it, as you can see. Nobody likes ramming any more than me. They call me Jeter. Nobody dresses sweeter. But under this cool is a quarterback mistreater. I come from the end, looking for the sacks. I don't stop coming till I put them on the back. This limousine with it, my moves are like dreams. They call me the demon on special team. I know how to rock from the toes to the head. When I pull the trigger, I'll knock you dead. I'm a mountain man from West VA. They call me Herc and I came to play. I learned long ago to ram it just right. You can ram it all day and ram it all night. Ram it. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop! At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play. Brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories. 
like how we found the best way to play Yakuza Zero, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.